Let me read Galatians 5, 22 and 23 for us again. As we think about the fruit of the Spirit, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's a tendency when I read this passage, when I think about the fruit of the Spirit, that, that wants all of these to characterize me by my works and by my effort. That if others inside the church or outside would look at me, that they would say, wow, Eric has worked really hard for each of these qualities to characterize him. He's loving to his wife, patient with his son. He's full of joy and peace. He's faithful and kind, and man, overall, he's just a really good guy. But sometimes, and sometimes I, I really do think that and, and, and I have to humbly recognize that when I look at each of these nine qualities, what we call the fruit of the Spirit, I recognize that within me, there is no power on my own to accomplish these things, to live out these things. Sure, it's easy for me to be loving when someone is nice to me or someone loves me back. It's easy to be filled with joy when my life is, when I'm well-rested and my life is in balance. It's easy to be patient when I have no stress from work or from family. And that's true of these other fruits as well, but when my life is in shambles, when I'm stressed to the max, when I'm all knotted up inside, when my effort and my energy, in my effort and in my energy, my character alone is not going to produce these nine fruit. See, there's a reason it's not called the fruit of Eric or the fruit of insert your name here. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. I am not the source of life. You are not the source of life. As John 15 says, he is the vine and we are the branches. We aren't even capable of producing each of these fruit in our own life. No, it takes the Spirit. You and I are totally dependent on God's Spirit that dwells within us for all of these things to grow in our lives. And so as we work through these fruits, these next couple of weeks, we're not white-knuckling tryhards trying to produce these things within ourselves by our own power. But we are praying and we are asking the Lord to work these out within us. As we look to each of these fruit, I hope you don't hear from any of the individuals who get up here to speak that we just need to do better. You see, it's not do more or try harder, but it is to rest in and rely upon. So as we look this morning at this first fruit, this fruit of love, there's many passages I could have gone to. We could have looked at Romans 8 or John 15 or 1 John 4. 
But as I continued to head in maybe one of multiple of these directions this week, it became abundantly clear that that's not the direction that we needed to head this morning. But one verse kept continually coming to my mind. It's a verse of maybe a distant past for you and for me especially. It's probably the first verse you memorize as a child. And as you listen to this, I want you to think about the, the simplicity of it. And yet, this profound nature, this profound doctrine that is found within it. Text is John 3.16. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is God's word. This verse has been put, play, but it's been put on signs and arenas. It has been placed on billboards. It has been written in bathroom stalls. It's been recited in Awana. Perhaps you have developed an aversion to it, much like I did at one point, because growing up, we heard it over and over. Again, it was perhaps maybe a verse that you memorized, maybe the first verse that you memorized. It's a verse that you come across every once in a while and are reminded of a memory long forgotten or memories long forgotten. You've maybe moved on to greater truths of doctrine or in faith and theology. Maybe in your theological leaning, you've nuanced it to mean something different than what it first meant to you when you learned it as a child. But even in spite of our aversion to it, in spite of our theological leaning, in spite of our knowledge to push further into these greater truths of theology, still the first four words of this verse reign profoundly true. For God so loved. And I want you to just take a brief second to think and mull over those first four words in your mind. For God so loved. For God so loved us in spite of ourselves. If we know our Bibles, we know that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that the wages of sin that we have all committed is death. We know that we have missed the mark, that even our best efforts are what we would see as righteousness, our filthy rags. You see, God has nothing to gain from loving us. And yet he still does. He is, as he describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34, verse 6, as slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And it's with this love that he loves the world with. And one of my favorite definitions of this love, this steadfast love, is from Sally Lloyd-Jones in her Jesus Storybook Bible. And she describes it as this. This love is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. 
It is a love that can't, we cannot be separated from, either by tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. The heights nor the depths can separate us from this love. But what's so beautiful about this love is that this love is active. It propelled God to act. And he acted in the greatest and yet most costly way possible. As this verse says, God, knowing that we could not save ourselves, gave his only son. You see, you and I need that reminder that without Jesus, we have absolutely nothing. I need that reminder that without Jesus, I am dead in my trespasses and sins that I once walked. That we all are most to be pitied if Jesus did not come and die and then resurrect. That without Jesus, there is no spirit of the living God dwelling within me. There is no fruit of the spirit. There is no transforming Christ-like love in our world or in our hearts. Christian brothers and sisters, your lives are only following the example of the one who loved before us. We love because Christ first loved us and gave himself as a propitiation for our sins. That is, Christ took the wrath of God that you and I deserved so that if we believe in him, we will not perish but have eternal life. We have life in him and because of him. You see, this verse goes on and explains even more of the purpose of Christ's coming in verse 17, where he says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There might be some of you in here that thinks God is a cruel punisher, that God is exclusive, that God is vindictive, that God is distant and far off and he cares so very little about you and I. But this verse points to the exact opposite. God leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one. God provides an open door, not a shut one. In fact, he takes the door that was shut and he pries it open so wide so that those who were hopeless can have hope, so that those who know, do not know love can be loved, so those who have no access to life can live. As one of my favorite pastors and theologians said, says, anyone can get in on this, and the door is open to anyone who will come to him. For anyone who call, will call upon the name of the Lord, for anyone who will reach out to him, the Lord of salvation. Now, some of you are asking, what then, Eric, what does this have to do with the fruit of the Spirit and specifically love? Like, shouldn't we be talking about how we, we love one another or, or how, how we love God? And I say, yes. There are ways we can talk about loving one another. There are ways that we can talk about loving God. These the, that are the greatest commandments in Scripture. But without understanding the gospel, 
without understanding of what Christ has done for you or if the Spirit does not dwell in you, our love is worldly and only worldly. If we are just going day by day relying on our own power and our own ability to love, it will always fall short. Because in our own power, we can only love our spouses and our children and our neighbors when they treat us as we think we should be treated. Kids, it's easy to love your parents or easy to love your brothers and sisters when they're doing what you want them to do. But when TV time goes away or playtime is over or when they ground you or when they take away your phone or your tablet or when your brother and sister hits you, it's a little bit more difficult to love in those moments, isn't it? Parents, when your child is talking in the middle of service, it's a little more difficult to love your child at that moment, isn't isn't it? Adults, when you are at work and your coworkers are doing their jobs, it's very easy to love them. But when your boss has given you more work on a holiday weekend, or when you are doing the job of your coworker because they are not doing their jobs, it's a little bit more difficult to love them in those moments, isn't it? When you and I are in church and are sitting across a room from someone who has said or done hurtful things to you or your family, it's a little bit more difficult to love them, isn't it? So do we just grit our teeth and try to love them more? You see, that may work for a period of time, but our grace and our mercy that we have for people comes to an end. It has our limits. I was thinking about this last night, that oftentimes we want to correct spiritual problems with non-spiritual means. When we're finding it difficult to love others, we shouldn't be seeking our own answer to this problem, but God's answer. And God's answer to lack of love for our spouse or our neighbor or our sibling or our church member is not less of Jesus. It's more of him. It says, John 15 says, abiding in him. We make Christ our dwelling place. He is the vine, and we are the branches. We cannot bear fruit without him. One of those fruit being, that fruit being the, the, the fruit of the Spirit that we are talking about here this morning, in the next couple of weeks. And if Christ is God, and God is love, shouldn't we be seeking that source that is love, more of Christ, not less of him. The answer to lack of love is more Jesus, not less. It's more of the Spirit, not less. It's more dependence upon him, not less. 
It is the constant day after day asking for the Spirit to come and take residence in our lives, not because he is not already there if you are a Christian, but many of us do not begin our days with asking for dependence on the Spirit. Too many of us, myself included, have an I'll handle it attitude. When we should be saying, no, Lord, I need you to handle this because I will mess it up because I am a lost cause without you. Church, do you want to be a place that exudes the love of Christ to our neighborhoods and within our doors and within our walls? Then let's ask God to do that right now, that the Spirit would be so evident in our lives that others would look upon the Journey Tower Grove and know that it is a community that not only loves God, but loves them as well, and would know that we are his disciples by how we love. Let's pray. More of you, Lord, and less of me. More of you, Lord, and less of me. Lord, we need more of you. Because our love on our own is not sufficient. Lord, may we be totally and utterly dependent on you and you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.